Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and Israel. He is the Messiah from the line of David. Matthew shows us that Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. Matthew tells us Jesus is going to bring God's blessing to all the nations, just like Moses did. Jesus' kingdom is about God's rescue operation for the whole world. It's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members. Everyone is invited. Everyone is called to turn, to repent, to follow Jesus, and to join his family. Matthew is about the people who are unimportant, the nobodies, the irreligious. These are the people who are transformed by their willingness to trust, to have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning to everyone here, both in the West and the East Auditorium. Uh, if you're newer with us, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And I think my favorite moment every weekend when preaching is when the light shines on you and I have to wait for the video and we just kind of awkwardly stare at one another here in the West until the East is ready. So I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 15 this morning. And um, if you're, uh, again, newer, maybe unfamiliar with my story, my, uh, my, my wife affectionately refers to my kind of family growing up as gypsies uh, because we kind of traveled around and had family businesses, whatever it took to kind of get us through. We had a carpet cleaning business. We've had a courier business. We've, had, uh, we've been in the golf business. And one of the uh, businesses that was the most fun growing up is our family owned an ice cream shop. Uh, it was uh, called King Cone. You get it? It was like the, I mean, it was about as creative as we could get. And so it was like a little monkey climbing an ice cream cone was our logo. Anyway, um, so growing up, you know, owning an ice cream shop, we actually were right next door in the strip mall to um, a pizza place. And I had some friends that worked at the pizza place. And I would ask them, I said, so working at a pizza place day in and day out, do you, do you ever get sick of pizza? And they're like, yes, I don't want to eat another piece of pizza as long as I live. And they'd ask me, do you ever get sick of ice cream? To which I responded, no. <laughs> And why not? Because it's ice cream. These are not difficult things. And so just as kind of a little uh, see that we're all awake here this morning, why don't we turn to our neighbor and share with them our favorite flavor of ice cream, okay? So go ahead, two seconds. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Both rooms. This isn't a dissertation, it's, it's just a flavor of ice cream. We got another service after this, folks. People are like defending their ice cream flavor. It's a serious business. Well, statistically, the number one ice cream flavor of all time is vanilla. Vanilla. How... Yes, statistically vanilla, actually, if we were to poll you and, and figure it out, should come out vanilla. In fact, vanilla is such the number one flavor of boring ice cream that it is, it is actually double in preference to that of its even second place runner-up, that of chocolate. 
And it's interesting, actually, in the world of research, design, and statistics, that there's actually a word or a phrase called the vanilla factor. And the vanilla factor or the vanilla effect is anytime the leading um, you know, choice is more than double that of the second place choice. It's kind of you know, statistically an anomaly. It's more than 100% more than that of its second place deal. And so what does that have to do with us today? Well, the reason we exist as a church, as we understand, is we are here to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ, that we are to become more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And what statisticians have discovered, um, you could say outside of the life of the church, as the means here, as we say through growing and serving together, that through uh, the personal practices that we, uh, they have discovered the number one um, practice that you can put in your life that will most greatly increase, uh, you could say, your journey, your walk, uh, develop your faith, your, your devotion to Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's so much the number one factor, it's, it's a vanilla effect. It's more than double, even its second place counterpart and everything thereafter. And so uh, I want to share that with you, but not right away. I've got to keep you interested a little bit longer. And so um, to do that, though, rather than statistics set the stage for uh, what it is, is the number one factor in personal practice that we can do to grow our faith. Now, we're going to look to God's word, which really Jesus kind of pointed this out 2,000 years ago, and you could say statistics uh, more or less kind of um, validated what was already uh, known as true. And so if uh, you've got your Bible open to Matthew 15, uh, if you're newer with us, we've been working through the book of Matthew here for a number of months, and Matthew is uh, a book in the Bible that's, you could say, a biographical account of the birth, the life, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of Jesus' ministry here on earth, about the point we're getting to here in Matthew, a little bit more than halfway through, what we're consistently and constantly seeing and going to see over the next several weeks of the passages we see is that Jesus is regularly running into opposition. He's starting to run into opposition uh, with none other than actually the religious leaders of the day. Those who you might think would be on his side, religious leaders, are actually uh, threatened by Jesus' presence and what he's having to say. And one of the challenges that, or you could say where they're butting heads, is the religious leaders of the day, they have uh, formed, in in an effort to try to protect God's word, they have added many man-made rules and regulations uh, that have kind of become the main thing instead of protecting the main thing. And so a lot of times we're going to see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees to point out, you know, all these rules and regulations you set up are actually causing you to undercut God's word rather than support it. And so that's one of those situations here today in Matthew chapter 15. So with that, I invite you to follow with me starting in verse 1. It says, Some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, before you think this is like a case of a parent disciplining a child for not washing their hands, you know, from a cleanliness standpoint, that's, that's not what the Pharisees are talking about. It's not like a gross habit. It's actually, uh, it was a ceremonial tradition that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day had put in place. Um, it's kind of a ceremonial cleansing that they had added to um, kind of you know, practice before eating. And so Jesus responds to that, this question of theirs, actually not by answering the question, but by responding with a question of his own. With the point being really to reveal that the religious leaders are asking the wrong question, that they've, they're in the midst of an adventure of missing the point. So Jesus is going to point that out to them. He says in verse 3, And so why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, 
If anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is to be devoted to God, well then, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the very word of God for the sake of your tradition. And so essentially, Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy, uh, both in their initial question and in their religious practices, uh, where they, again, have been creating rituals and rules that are undercutting the very word of God, to which Jesus calls them out. Verse 7, he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah, speaking to a prophet who had come before them, he was right when he prophesied about you. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, they are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human traditions. <coughs> Excuse me. And so Jesus then from there addresses in their hypocrisy, he addresses the crowd, he had then more specifically his disciples to make a teaching moment of this, to not just teach uh, about proper religious practice, but even more uh, deeply, Jesus is going to reveal here how the essence of life actually works, the way in which he created us. And so here it is, verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Jump down to verse 17. He says, to clarify, don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Okay, I think we all know how that works. No need to clarify there. Um, verse 18 but, and here's the bottom line, if you're um, kind of a Bible highlighter, underliner person, this is, this is the verse you want to highlight. This is the point of Jesus' teaching that we're going to look at here for the rest of our time. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. The things that come out of a person's mouth, they come from the heart. And this is what defiles them. He goes on, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, or more precisely, unwashed, uh, ceremonially unwashed hands, this does not defile them. And so we see Jesus giving us a peek into his created order. He created the cosmos, he created the world, he created you and me. And he says, this is the way that you are wired. That out of the heart, for better or for worse, for good or for bad, that is the way that your life will be lived. And we see this all throughout scripture. Uh, Jesus does the same teaching in another way in Luke 6.45. He says it this way. He says, the good brings the good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Yet the evil man brings out the evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, our mouths speak. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows out of it. And then one more, a little later in Matthew 23, Jesus in another, uh, we're going to see this later in the book of Matthew, he comes to another um, encounter with the religious leaders of the day. And he says, woe to you teachers of law, like, like woe to us, like hold up here, teachers in law of the Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says that the, he illustrates what's going on. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. And so we've all, we've all experienced that. We've all left a, a coffee cup out just a little too long after using it and sitting on the shelf. It looks fine, but you look inside, it's like, 
bad news, right? And so that's what Jesus is painting. He says, this is what goes on in our hearts when we don't have the goodness of God stored up in our hearts, the inside, then the outside is just a fraud. He says, essentially to us, when you focus on just the external, when you focus on just external behavior, when you focus on just the do's and the don'ts, then you're only gonna be taking care of the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside, you're still gonna be full of all kinds of selfishness, greed, and all kinds of evil. To which Jesus says, first wash the inside of the cup, wash the inside of your heart, and then the outside will then naturally be clean as well. So that's how we wanna shape our hearts. And so the question for us today is, how do we shape our hearts uh, around the things of Jesus Christ. Well, interestingly, a number of years ago, um, many of you were part of the life of the church when we did something called the Spiritual Life Survey or the Reveal Study. Uh, We were part of something that was through the Willow Creek Association. It was a study that aimed to examine, beyond assumptions, what is it that actually does grow our faith, grow our walk in uh, our devotion to Jesus Christ? And um, true to its pun, it did. It revealed uh, many ways in which uh, we move through our growth in Christ uh, along a continuum and that we all fall into some movement category here, whether we're just starting out exploring Christ, whether we've taken that next step to, to accept Jesus Christ and to grow in him, to the, you could say the next level of maturity of being very close to Christ. And you could say that fully mature would be fully Christ-centered. And so there were some, you know, some self-identifying markers along the way. But the study was most interested, not really in placing everybody, but more understanding what propels people forward along that continuum. And so there were lots of things about certain beliefs that we hold to, spiritual practices, um, and, and things like church involvement. Top three for church involvement were, um, you know, worship, small group, and being involved in some type of service area. So those are three things that, that we practice regularly around here, obviously in our mission of growing and serving together. But the particular area I want to delve into specifically for us today, the heart-shaping reality that moves us forward in our walk and our devotion to Jesus Christ is that vanilla factor. That when they did this study, this one personal practice was double that of any other single factor um, that statistically revealed us moving forward in our faith. And what was interesting, that it was number one in all four growth areas uh, that they measured, you know, in certain things about church involvement, you know, one would kind of be good for the beginning, some towards the end. But what we're going to look at was the number one heart-shaping area across all movements, and again, more than double that of its second-place counterpart. And so this is going to apply to you whether you're new to church today or you've been in church since literally in utero, um, and that is this. Personal reflection on Scripture. Reflection on Scripture is the number one personal practice at every stage of our spiritual growth. Now, there's lots of other factors, but if we're going to just take some time to say, okay, what's the most effective? Um, This is the one. And we're not surprised by this, that God's Word would be the number one thing that could shape our hearts. And so that's what we want to look at here specifically today, that we would shape our heart by reflecting on Scripture in our lives, uh, that then our lives would then overflow to live it. And so based on Scripture... It says of itself in 2 Timothy 3.16 that this is God-breathed. This is inspired by God. And so we want to, based on that, simply and plainly today, really just give you some very practical tools, uh, some handles here this morning that you could put into practice outside of a weekend service. Of course, we reflect on Scripture here each weekend, uh, but we want to kind of work under that kind of 
old phrase of, you know, give a man a fish, I feed you for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And so today, while we're going to have plenty of fish to eat here as we look through this, uh, the ultimate goal is that you would go out on some fishing escapades of your own to daily and regularly get God's word into your heart. And so maybe this is something you already have in practice. Maybe this is something you don't have at all. Either way, I think there's going to be some tips and some, some scripture and some support for all of us to grow in this area. So you ready? Yeah? East Auditorium, ready? Yeah, thank you. Helping them out over there. Okay, so if you're a note taker, you might want to write these down on the back of your program or maybe you punch it into your phone, whatever's easiest for you. But these are some real practical steps to help you get God's word into your heart and thus in the overflow of your life. All right? So the first thing that we can do to take God's word in is, this is probably going to be the easiest one of all, is to read. Read God's word. I think if this was a game of family feud and we were to say, you know, what is the number one way that you can get God's word into your life, that survey says, read, because it's a book. In fact, the word Bible literally means book. And so you start by reading it. It says this in Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And so we are blessed when we read God's word, obviously. And this is something we actually say um, at the beginning of every message around here because this is so important uh, to, again, our growth and development. Uh, but it seemed more fitting to, to communicate to you here that if you don't have a Bible of your own to, to read and to take God's word in, um, you'll notice there's ones in the pew rack and they pass them out in the East Auditorium. We want you to take that home as a gift from us to you so that you can begin to actually read God's word. And again, it's better with you uh, being opened up in front of your face throughout the week than it is sitting here in a pew rack. And so we've given away probably hundreds over the years and, and happily do so and happily replace them. So take that if you don't have one. But even as I say that, you know, we live in a day today that really didn't even exist 10 years ago when it comes to how we take books in, do we not? Uh, and that, yes, we used to do it this way, but now for so many of us, there's the, the era of the digital book, you know, Kindles and Nooks, and now even more accessible are, are smartphones and things like that. In fact, I just saw, I was told last night after this, that the iPhone turned 10 years old, actually, this past week. Um, and so we have ways to access uh, books and more specifically God's word with us all the time. And so an application that we regularly recommend or, or a website as well is something called YouVersion. Uh, it is the number one most popular Bible app on the planet. In fact, I, we were just doing some looking on it last night. It's the number two most downloaded app in all time, over 200 million downloads. Um, it's, uh, and, and the coolest thing about it, at least relative to us here in central Illinois, is it was developed uh, by a, a young man by the name of Bobby Greenwald, who actually grew, grew up right here in Harristown, of all places. So pretty wild stuff. So um, it's really easy to get a hold of that um, on our church website, firstdecatur.org, or if you have our church app on the little sandwich menu there, on both of those, you'll see uh, just the word Bible. You click on that, and that will take you there. So if you were looking for that. Um, but so that's, so that's how you can get into God's Word. You can get it literally on your smart device or uh, obviously a physical Bible. Either way, it's still perfectly good. Uh, but the question I think a lot of us run into is, great, but where do I begin? I mean, let's be honest. This is a very thick book, and you could start from the beginning and to the end, and I would definitely recommend that. Um, but there's hundreds of ways in which to kind of take on different approaches to scripture. And uh, particularly on that version application, there are over 400 Bible reading plans uh, for you to look at to kind of take 
on scripture in uh, maybe more bite-sized chunks. They have plans that will give you something to do for 30 minutes a day, everything down to about a minute a day. And so I just did a quick search on my phone here before uh, to find some. Um, One study is an in-depth study of Matthew. That was something I started in conjunction with uh, the series that we're we're doing right now. So maybe you could complement what's happening on the weekends by doing your own in-depth study of Matthew. Uh, There's a Bible study called Understanding God's Purpose, uh, The Bible in a Year, authentic prayer. And then there were just dozens under various categories of life, under you know, marriage, there's a ton of Bible studies on that, parenting, um, anxiety, studies on fear, hope, uh, doubt, anger, love, all kinds of different ways in which to, again, begin to take God's word, to read God's word, and get it into your heart. So I'd encourage you to do that, um, to begin to read God's word, uh, accompanied by a good reading plan that can help you kind of stay on track and give you something, some you know, some railroad tracks to stay with it, okay? So that's obviously the first way. That's the easiest, most obvious, is that we would take God's word into our heart and out of our lives by beginning to read it. The second way um, is gonna be for those of you who have listened to the first one and just said, you know what? I, um, I love Jesus, but I hate to read. And for some of you, I know that's the case. I've had these conversations. Like, I know it's important to get God's word into my heart, uh, but I just, I just hate reading. Well, Take heart, be encouraged. The second one is for you is that you can also not only read God's word, but nowadays you can hear God's word. You can listen to God's word. You can take God's word in by hearing. It says in Revelation 1.3, this verse we just read a moment ago, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, but goes on, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Romans 10.17 says it this way, So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. And so I can't even count how many conversations I've had in the life of this church with those of you who, who listen to a lot of stuff, kind of take in your information, you know, whether through listening to, you know, news radio rather than reading a newspaper or listening to podcasts or books on tape or CD or, you know, Audible or however you do that. Um, and I imagine some of you over the years in this understanding have maybe purchased like a book, a Bible on CD or Bible on tape or something like that. Um, but again, not to just oversell this app that's free, so you really can't oversell it. Uh, but on the Version Bible app, there's... Uh, Uh, dozens of translations that there's just a little microphone speaker there that they have those audio versions right there um, built into the uh, the application and so um, I just think about how much word could we take into our hearts and into our lives just in our drive time alone Every chapter in the Bible, on average, is anywhere, if you listen to it, from about two to five minutes. And so you think about your your commute, just think about how much, just slow and steady on a daily routine, you could begin to take God's word in that way, all right? And so just a couple of ways to either read or hear God's word in your life, okay? So that's the first two ways. From there, a third way to grasp more of God's word into your heart and your life is to take it a step deeper through study. You could actually begin to study God's word beyond just what you read there. Acts 17, 11 says that the people, they received the message with great eagerness. And then from there, they examined. They examined the scriptures. They studied the scriptures every day. And so practically speaking, study is really where we just take maybe a broader stroke of scripture that we either read or listened to and begin to get more deeper into the meaning of that and the application of that for our lives. 
And so a great place to start to kind of study God's word would be really just a good study Bible, um, that you get a Bible that has some study notes in the bottom that just kind of help maybe connect some of the dots that can be confusing or not understood. Uh, the NIV study Bible, um, if I was to point you to one, is already kind of a modern day classic just to kind of help you understand, uh, you know, what's going on there in the scriptures beyond maybe what you can grab at first blush look. Uh, but again, in the uh, Version application, there are all those, bi- a lot of those Bible reading plans come with accompanying, you know, study notes or devotionals to help you Again, apply and understand God's word. Uh, Also in there, there is a translation called the NET, the New English Translation, which was a translation developed specifically for a digital platform. I I think you can buy it physically, but it was designed for kind of the digital reality and that it has over 60,000 translators notes buried and built right into the text. So you just kind of click on a word or click on a verse and all kinds of study notes and things come up for you on that. And so you too can be cool like the preaching pastors when we say, well, in the Greek, you know, that's not, I mean, you can do that. All you have to do is push on the same thing we push on. We're not, we're, we've been cheating you this whole time. It's not that difficult. It's all, it's all there, okay? And so begin to study God's word. Begin to kind of take another, another level deeper to really um, discover what it is that God wants to do to apply, because that's really the heart of that study was saying, not just reading God's word, but reflection, internalizing God's word. That's really where the growth really starts to take off, okay? The next way that you can shape your heart through scripture is through, um, you could say, the spiritual practice of meditating on scripture. Psalm 1 says it this way, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. For that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, okay? So we're encouraged to meditate on God's word. Now, kind of void of a teaching here. I don't know what first conjures up in your brain when you hear the word meditation or meditate, but the first time I think of it, I kind of think about, you know, this idea of sitting like cross-legged, levitating above the ground a few inches. Like, isn't that what meditation is? No, that's... That's a hijacked version of meditation. Biblical meditation, the word literally meditate, it means literally to dwell on. To dwell on or to think deeply about. That's what it means to meditate on something. Or in a Christian context, really, the best context for that is just simply to say, pray it. To meditate on God's word is really to pray God's word, to spend time prayerfully asking God to apply and to um, you know, deep this uh, into your heart and to your life, okay? And so when we're, and so maybe this is how this looks. So maybe you're reading, you're hearing God's word, you start to study a passage and something will start to, you could say maybe just kind of pop off the page to you or pop into your ears, uh, something that's just standing out. Maybe it's uh, just a single verse or even just a single word that's, you feel God's Holy Spirit is illuminating uh, to you, that this is really what God wants to communicate to you, for you in this day, in this time. Well, that's probably what you want to think deeply about, what you want to dwell on, what you want to pray about. Um, also, another way to do it is just if you have a favorite verse or some favorite verses for a certain time in your life that you go to, um, a great way to internalize that is to, to pray it regularly. And so here's a few of my favorites that have served me well over the years. They might be uh, helpful to you. Psalm 23.1. This is probably, if you had to push me on it, my favorite verse. Um, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, and thus I shall not be in want. Other translations say, the Lord is my shepherd, so therefore there's nothing else wanting within me. He's everything I need. Great, great verse to meditate on. Psalm 136.1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. 
in Matthew eleven twenty eight, very popular verse um, for obvious reason, because Jesus himself says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Literally, Jesus says, I will be your rest. Okay? And so those are some beginning verses, or maybe you have some of your own, or again, just through your own reading and hearing and studying, uh, you, certain verses and words will kind of, again, kind of illuminate for you to begin to meditate on, think on, pray on, uh, and again, really internalize God's word into your life. Because from there, really, that's when the most natural version of the next thing you can do with God's word uh, uh, you start to internalize it, is uh, to memorize it. The fifth thing you can do is memorize God's word. Uh, so it's always with you. Psalm 119.11 says it this way. I have hidden your word in my heart. So again, we're starting from the heart, working from the inside out. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, or as Jesus said, that I, the good then stored up in my heart might be expressed, might be lived out, might come out. And so there's, you know, I mean, you guys have memorized things probably before for things like school or whatever the case may be. And so uh, I know for some, they put maybe a Bible verse on like the bathroom mirror where they're seeing it every day and kind of reciting it as they brush their teeth. I don't know if you can do that at the same time, but maybe mentally. Um, uh, some people, again, kind of going back to the phones, I've seen where people use it as their little wallpaper uh, deal where you have the verse right there. Every time you kind of open up your, your phone, it's right there in your face uh, as that constant reminder. Some people, you know, they really take, you know, wanting to internalize God's word and memorize it seriously. They'll put like flashcards together to just um, really put that as a high goal in their life to kind of get God's word into their hearts. Um, for me, just being real honest about the way this works for me is I don't, I don't spend a lot of time, um, you could say setting aside time to memorize scripture, but really what I've discovered is that when I read and I'm hearing and I'm studying and I'm meditating and praying God's word, that really without a whole lot of additional effort, you'll find that you've begun to internalize and memorize God's word. It's right there in your heart. Um, and that's really the point of it. We gotta remember that, that the, the goal is not to win like a Bible Bowl face-off. You know, you don't want to getting every little word and iota and pronoun right. Um, really, it's to internalize God's word so that it would naturally be rooted in your heart so that the overflow of your life would then reflect it. Okay? Because then when we've done these things, when we read God's word, hear God's word, study it, meditate and pray on it, and have begun to internalize and memorize it, then the last, you could say, leg of the race when it comes to God's word, most naturally then overflows, and this is where the whole point of Jesus' teaching, is that, that we might then obey and follow. That we would not just be hearers of God's word, but that we would obey and follow the word that's embedded in our hearts. Um, James 1, through 25 says it this way. It says, do not merely listen to the word and, sorry, I skipped that first one. There you go. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in the mirror. It's kind of a funny illustration. And then after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what it is they even looked like. Um, this would be ridiculous. And so the same point is true for scripture. Whoever looks intently into God's perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. Okay? And so we must remember that taking God's word in, getting in the most Bible studies, getting in the most memory verses, is not the end in of itself. That, that Bible in our hearts, in our minds, is, does not terminate on itself. That it has a means beyond that, that it starts with the heart, but then the whole goal of that is that it might then overflow into the living of our lives, that we might, uh, again, get the goodness of God in our hearts, that the goodness would naturally come out, that our lives would be transformed, that others' lives would be transformed as we encounter them in our life. 
And so that's, that's the goal. That's what the number one way that we can shape our heart uh, by receiving, hearing, studying, reading, meditating, praying, and obeying and following God's word in our life. And so as we kind of wrap up and kind of hear, okay, I'm, you know, I'm encouraged, I feel directed, I feel maybe inspired to really start to implement God's word into my life. I think um, we could all relate to maybe being in a setting where we've got a thought of, okay, I'm gonna set, set a goal, I'm gonna start doing something, and then the next day, um, you know, it's a little too cold outside to actually start running today, maybe the next day, um, or whatever the case may be. And so I wanna give you one last little handle to hold on to, uh, to really begin to commit this beyond a Sunday morning and into Monday tomorrow. And uh, it's kind of the classic, you know, W questions, you know, the who, what, when, where, and why. And uh, when it comes to that, we already know who, talking about you, and we know why, because we spent the last, you know, 25 minutes talking about it. So I would ask you, if this is something that you feel committed to and devoted to, that obviously I want to shape my heart and shape my life by God's word, I would ask you where, when, and what? Where, when, and what? And that first off, you could say when, when am I actually going to get God's word into my life? Um, is it going to be kind of first thing in the morning deal? Uh, maybe it's that morning commute, like maybe that sounds like a good idea. Maybe it's a lunch hour. Maybe you're, you, know, you don't function well at any other time until night. You're a night owl, and so maybe it's right before bed, and you kind of sleep on it, and that's the way to do it. I would ask you the question, and I would encourage you to write it down. When are you going to take God's word into your life? And then kind of accompany with that when, you're probably already starting to visualize the where. Like where is this going to take place? You know, again, if it's a commute, probably in the car, um, unless you ride your bicycle or whatever the case may be. Uh, or maybe if it's in the morning, you're, you picture yourself at your kitchen table. Or if it's at night, it's kind of laying in bed right before you, you pass out, whatever the case may be. So when and where, and then obviously from there, what? What are you going to do? What is going to be your a plan to take out, take on scripture into your heart? And you might need some more time for this than just the, you know, the 15 seconds that are provided now. But maybe the next step for you is like, you know what, I got to get that application. And I got to start looking at some different reading plans and uh, see what it is uh, that makes, makes the most sense to me. And just be encouraged. You know, you don't have to take on, like if, you, if you're ta- doing no minutes a day, if you're just honest, like, you know, my word intake into my heart pretty much takes place on an hour on a Sunday morning here. Don't go home and make a 30-minute commitment that you haven't, you know, been used to. You know, all kinds of studies on habit formation and things like that just say, you're, you'll, you might do it for a day or two, but you're going to flame out. And so the biggest thing you can do to help build that habit is just, they talk about the importance of baby steps. I've heard, like, like if you don't floss or something, like, start by flossing one tooth a day, which, that's ridiculous. I think if you're going to go through that much trouble, get the floss out, finish the other 25 seconds, right? Dr. Our time. I don't know if you're in here, dentists uh, alike. So yeah, anyway, but baby steps is the point. And so I would say this, that if you're doing, honestly, just no minutes a day, you don't have any kind of way in which to do this in your life, I would encourage you to start with one minute a day. One minute a day in God's word. And some of you might scoff like, you know, what can you really accomplish in one minute? I don't know, a whole lot more than no minutes, I would assume, right? You can get a lot done in one minute. In fact, just as an example, just to kind of make this work for you. So if you've got the YouVersion Bible app, um, you can click on it and it has a verse of the day. Uh, this was yesterday's because I just took a screenshot of it. Um, and so this was not Morgan or my idea, but I thought it'd be funny if we timed me. Morgan, do you have like a stopwatch on your phone? Oh, you got a real stopwatch. That's cool. That's like an old fashioned one. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Okay. <clears throat> Go. Hebrews 13, five through six. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with whatever you have because God has said, never will I leave you, 
never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And I love this. What can mere mortals do to me? How long did that take? I still have time. Oh, I don't need the whole minute. How long was it? Less than 30 seconds. Okay, cool. All right, so verse of the day, the Bible app, every day has a different verse, a verse of the day. It took me less than 30 seconds to read it. Take another 30 seconds to pray that, okay, you know, there's some mortals at work that I can't stand or, you know. (laughs) What can they do to me? I've got God on my side. I mean, it's just, you can pray that into your day in a minute or less. That's real stuff. And again, it, it starts in a minute, but it's seated in your heart and it can overflow into your life. So just about as practical as an example as I can get. If you've got no minutes a day, you can start with one minute a day. And I, I know I'm kind of going on and on about this. I'm just, this is something I'm deeply passionate about because I am a product of that statistic. I know without a shadow of a doubt that my commitment to being in God's word, every morning, it's kind of like what I have for breakfast. Man does not live on fruity pebbles alone. You know, I think Jesus said that. Uh, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, he said bread, it's, it's modern day bread, fruity pebbles. Anyway, um, but I could say over the last 15 years, I haven't missed very many days. And sometimes it is a minute. Sometimes it's longer, but man does not live on bread alone. It is by the constant word of God um, that he will shape your heart and thus change your life. And so for that, let me pray for you in this and um, we'll go from there. Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of your word that we can so easily uh, access this, that we are without excuse God, we think about our brothers and sisters around the world who don't even have uh, the Bible translated in their own language or maybe just one book. And here we are, spoiled, honestly. Uh, forgive us for taking it for granted, Lord, and um, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, to begin to take the steps uh, come Monday uh, to put this word intake into our hearts and into our lives that we might be transformed by the inside, uh, from the inside out. And so that's done by your word and the reality that your word says it is active and breathing and uh, that, that you are alive within us through the words that you've given us by your word. May we live changed lives as a result. In Jesus' name.